Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and we have such an inspiring episode for you today. You're going to get to listen in as Krista Penner from our leadership development team talks with Anne Bernard Ball, the executive director of New Hope Community Services. New Hope is one of our partnering ministries with Fellowship Pacific, and they provide housing, support, community, and so much more to refugee families as they transition to healthy living in Canada. You'll get to hear Anne talk about what's bringing hope to New Hope these days as they navigate the COVID-19 pandemic and look to a post-COVID future along with the rest of us. She shares the incredible stories of some of the residents of New Hope, as well as the ways that God has been working through this ministry as they love and support the families he has brought to them. So let's get to it. Here's Krista's conversation with Anne Bernard Ball. So Anne, I want to welcome you to the Propel podcast today. So glad to have you here to talk about what's happening with New Hope Community Services and for our listeners. Anne Bernard Ball is the Executive Director of New Hope Community Services, an incredible ministry that is connecting with immigrant families uh, in Surrey and beyond. And so Anne, welcome here. Thanks, Krista. It's great to be with you again. It is. It's been a little while, but for our listeners, just wanting to let you know that New Hope Community Services is a partnering ministry with Fellowship Pacific. And as such, on our Propel podcast, we are wanting to connect our with our partnering ministries, find out what's happening, where they're headed as we are coming kind of out of this, this uh, pandemic fog and heading into a new season of connecting with people, making significant impact in our region as we share the gospel through how we live and interact with everyone. So that is what Anne and I are going to do today. We're going to talk about what's happening with the ministry that she is so blessed to lead. So Anne, I just going to start with what is bringing hope to new hope these days? Well, I think I would say, first of all, we're super excited about, you know, the dropping number of cases, the increasing vaccination rate, because it means that we're looking forward to resuming some of our core ministry that we've, you know, shifted how we deliver that. And a lot of that's gone online to some extent. And so we're really excited about looking forward to being in a room with our friends and neighbors again, sharing a meal again. Um, But, you know, it's also been amazing for us to see how our families have just embraced the virtual community that we've created. And, you know, when we go online and we have a community dinner once a month on Zoom, I expected the number of our families participating to decrease, but it doesn't every month. We have the, every family's on, on board. So it's, it's exciting to see that even in the midst of a pandemic, our families are just super resilient and uh, excited about their Canadian life. That doesn't mean that, you know, it's all going well. Um, certainly many of our families have challenges that they have to face. Um, but it's just really encouraging to see throughout the school year, Our kids are doing well in school. Our families are making progress toward, you know, finding employment and learning English and all the core things that they need to do in order to move forward with their own lives. And so the middle of the pandemic, we haven't, um, you know, that hasn't changed. The core um, 
pieces of our work are still the same. And uh, we're seeing really awesome, awesome uh, progress by all of our families. Oh, that is so great to hear. You know, uh, I think, you know, basic, basic human need, no matter where you come from, no matter what your story is, no matter what language you speak, we need connection. And so as adaptable human beings, we find ways to connect and those become a priority for us. So, yeah, you know, even, even Zoom, even pizza over Zoom uh, can be a, a point of connection for people. But I'm with you. I can't wait to be with people. I can't wait to be giving out hugs again, or at least giving like high fives with an elbow yeah. that he's comfortable with. Uh, it's going to be good. So I'm really encouraged to hear that your, your families are doing well, they're thriving, there's continuity to your ministry. And, you know, Anne, as I was getting ready to connect with you uh, today, I went on the, uh, your blog on your website and remind our listeners of what your, what your address is for your website. Sure. It's new hope CS. So as in Charlie, Sam.org new hope CS.org. So like new hope community services, but new hope CS.org. Correct. Got it. So if anybody wants to go and take a look, because I have to tell you that I clicked on your blog link on there and was thoroughly engrossed with the stories that I read. Now, I understand uh, that the names of the people that you are talking about in those stories, you change those names for their privacy, for their safety. And so as we talk about them today, we are going to talk a little bit about Dahlia and her story. I was just so moved when I read her story. It's a story of traumatic upheaval. And, you know, I've been doing a little bit of research myself lately on trauma. And there's all kinds of traumas that we experience in life. And you're on the front line of dealing with people who have experienced trauma. And for many of us, trauma, the trauma takes different a different course in our Western culture. But when we see people coming from other cultures and dealing really with what you would experience coming out of a war zone in many respects. And um, I'm not going to give you all of Dahlia's story. I'd love, Anne, for you to share a little bit about that and really help us understand how you, with the help of your coworkers at New Hope, help people like Dahlia deal with the trauma that they experience. Mm -hmm. I, you know, with our families, we don't get the story right away. Um, you know, it takes time for trust to build uh, before our families will tell us the full scope of their story. We get bits and pieces um, at the beginning and, and it's about at the six month mark of their stay with us where we really start to get involved and hear more about what their story is. And you're right, Dahlia's story, it, it it sounds like it came out of a movie. Um, you know, it involves bombs dropping, digging, surviving family members out of rubble. It involves um, being, you know, the, the constraints on freedom that, that ISIS enforces in places like Syria. It's about paying people to take you out in a sheep truck out of Aleppo and into uh, Lebanon and searching for freedom. And, you know, imagine being in that sheep truck in the middle of the night, trying to cross over to Lebanon with, a, I think her kids were three months and 18 months at the time. 
and, and, you know, the stress of that, but that trauma comes with them, right? Like you don't just immediately I'm free and I'm healed. The trauma is ongoing because you've left family behind in order to have your own safety. And, and I often wonder, you know, with everything that they go through, there is that one point that says, I have to leave. And that moment in time means that, you know, the, the stress of leaving people behind is actually maybe even less great than actually needing to be in safety in that moment. Um, and so I think Dolly is probably one of the bravest women I have ever known. And she's um, been at New Hope uh, now for just over a year. She's been in, she was, I think, on one of the last planes that arrived uh, to Canada before the borders closed because of COVID. Right. And to see her and her two beautiful daughters um, doing so well, despite everything, it's like, wow, she, she's truly a hero for me. Um, and, you know, we see trauma come out in very different ways. And it really depends on, you know, where our families are at. Um, you know, kids demonstrate trauma in how they act out at times. Um, and, and, you know, folks like Dahlia require sometimes more help than what we can provide. Um, we're not trauma specialists. We're not counselors. We know how to love on you and your kids. Um, we're there to provide friendship and community, but we are also there to connect you to resources. And, um, you know, we work closely with VAST, which is the Vancouver Association for the Survivors of Trauma, who really can come in and help some of our families who really need some extra help um, through that counseling process. Um, trauma is also a really difficult thing. And I think through COVID, what we've seen is this shift in openness around mental health, um, but we still have a lot of cultural barriers around accessing um, mental health supports as well. So, you know, um, there's a fine line that we walk on in, in trying to um, encourage some of our residents and families who need some of that extra trauma support. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's, you know, speaking about Delia and, you know, the kids we had, a couple of weekends ago, it was really hot day. I can't remember exactly when it was. We've got this little, little takes boat in the back parking lot um, that you can fill up with water. And the kids are out there in their bathing suits, having water fights. And Dahlia was out there with another mom and they've got like super soaker guns and they're going at each other and drenching each other. And then another mom gets into the mix from the third floor. She's got a bucket and she's dumping water. Of course, she's in a position of advantage because nobody can hit her. She's so far up. But it's great to see women like Dahlia just getting in there and having a ton of fun and putting all of that other stress aside and just having that moment. It's, it's really fun to watch that those moments happen. Oh, that's a, that's a great story. Uh, you know, some of the research I've been doing on stress and trauma lately, uh, one really beautiful picture that was uh, painted for me by, um, by a researcher was this idea that stresses, we all have stress of trauma that happens in our lives. And it's like you enter into a tunnel. And so often we get stuck in the middle of the tunnel and we're not able to come out the other side. And things that help us get out the other side are exactly what, like what you just described, having fun, letting go of things, um, doing something completely different than what you would normally do. Yeah. And I can't even imagine the pure joy 
of just using water in a sense like wasting water in a water gun uh, in a back parking lot in a country where you are free and you are safe. Uh, you know, just this past Sunday at Ridge Church in Maple Ridge, they interviewed a Syrian family that our church had sponsored over a year ago to come to Canada. And I was struck by something this beautiful woman said in her broken but beautiful English. She said to uh, our, our, our audience over, over video, she said, it is so wonderful to be in a Christian country where we are free to worship. And I, I was struck by that because you and I, in our Western context, would say, we're not really a Christian nation in the truest sense of the word anymore. And uh, there's all these factors uh, that have really seeped into the fabric of our culture. And yet to somebody new to our country who has come from a place where you can't even speak of being a Christian. They talked about a brother, a brother in uh, that is back in Turkey, uh, waiting to come. He won't even tell his wife that he's a Christian. Mm -hmm. Her family will come down on him for that. That is that puts what we enjoy here in such clear perspective. And I'm sure for your family at New Hope new to this country, they are, the, the freedom that the way they see freedom is refreshing. It's a way we need to see the freedoms that we have. Right. And, and, you know, I think there is a great book. Um, I'm not going to remember the author, but it was a pastor at, at Bridge Church, Mark Birch, who talked about this book years ago. It was called Gospel Wakefulness. And often we don't under, those of us who grew up in the Christian faith, don't realize or have a real sense of what we've been saved from because it's always been part of who we are in our life. And so you look at our families coming in and, you know, like freedom, we've always had this freedom and we don't understand it until you see it through the eyes of, you know, one of our families, um, you know, where, you know, we've got had a couple of Muslim families who've actually said, I'd like to go to church with you. Um, and, and it's a little bit surprising, but it's, you know, I want to learn more about the country that I'm living in and, and, and I've not been able to learn about Christianity. Can, can I learn more? doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And, and it's really encouraging to see that sort of thing. And that's an expression of that freedom. Um, even Delia and her story talked about when she got over the Lebanese border, she took off her hijab and uh, probably a burqa and her socks because she had her ankles covered. And, you know, so it was that expression of freedom, even for her just crossing that border and what that border symbolized. That's powerful. That is amazing. Well, she's not the only one that you have. Uh, that you've got a, a blog post about. I, I, I'm going to read something to you that I took right off of the blog and then get you to tell us a little bit more about it. But you, you mentioned someone who we'll call Aaron from Ethiopia. And uh, this is what it says on the blog. When we were finally approved to be resettled in Canada, my family was escorted all the way to the airplane boarding gate. When I felt the wheels of the plane lift off the ground, I was so happy and I was praising God. God is good. 
I know God is great because I am not dead. My wife is pregnant and my new baby will be Canadian. This made me cry. Like I was reading this. <laughs> Leave it. He goes on and Aaron says, my children will not see problems in Canada like I did in Africa. In Canada, we can walk to the store. I can go outside whenever I want to and my kids can play with other children. We are free. I am hoping for a new story and new good things. So Anne, I want you to tell us about Aaron and then help us understand how this reality should inform our perspective. You know, when I read a statement like this, I am humble because I take this freedom for granted. What would you want to remind our listeners about as we move forward through this pandemic? Yeah. Um, so Aaron's pretty remarkable. Uh, he's really charismatic. Um, his kids are beautiful. So the baby's born. Um, Baruch. And um, I haven't got a chance to hold him yet, which is one of the things I, I grieve is I love being at New Hope because there's always babies coming. We've got another one coming in July, um, but it's heartbreaking when you can't actually pick up the baby and hold the babies. So, um, so Aaron, Aaron's um, had some issues in his home country. Um, his family was under threat and he ran in, um, ended up in a refugee camp in Kenya and uh, met his wife in the camp. Um, and his life was under threat um, because he reported someone in authority. He was a corrupt official. Um, and uh, Aaron ended up being in protective custody for about four years. And so when his first child was born, the UN actually escorted them to the hospital and back. His daughter had never actually played with any other children um, because they were in that protective custody. And so, you know, kind of going back to our previous conversation, even about trauma, this little two-year-old, when she arrives at New Hope, doesn't know how to interact with other people. And um, today, what I see is a little three-year-old running around New Hope with her little friends um, and, you know, love and life, right? Like, so she's kind of transitioned over the year that they've been with us from being, you know, really fearful to just having a ball. And, and that is success in so many ways for us is to see that adjustment happen. And when I, when I think about their stories, I think the common thread through all of them um, is that there's hope. That would be the key message about these stories is that as dire as the situation is, there's hope that there's going to be something better um, when they get to Canada. And, and there is, and, and there's a honeymoon phase. And then there's, there's a bit of a dip because it's not quite, you know, my family immigrated to Canada in the 1950s. And my grandfather talked about Canada. My mom talks about it as though the streets were paved with gold, right? Every, everything, mm -hmm. it's, it's a wealthy country and anything and everything is possible, which we know isn't always true. And so there's this thing that's, oh, but I don't know how to speak English. And, and I think we have this um, pressure that we put on, on our, our system puts on refugees that they must be economically productive as absolutely quickly as possible. And the challenge is, is that sometimes we sacrifice learning English to get an immediate job. But if we just 
taken English classes a month or two longer and perfected our English, we might have got a better or higher paying job. And so there's this trade off that has to happen. But in the midst of all of that, there's hope. And one of our staff, Mindy, talks about, you know, one of the light bulb moments is when our families see how we love their children because they take these risks so their kids will have a better life. And they see their children running around loving life and they think what we did was worth it. I wasn't sure there are moments of doubt, but this was really worth it for my, my daughter, my son um, to have a better life in Canada what, where they wouldn't have had that in Africa or Syria or Myanmar, Venezuela, whatever that country might be. And so, you know, I would, I would say that, um, you know, your question was what, what do I want to remind people of as we go through this pandemic is there's still loads of hope. There's still loads of families who are coming to Canada and there will be more to come um, who need our help. Um, and it's about connection and community. And that's, that's really what I think one of the secret sauces of new hope is. And it's that, it's that intentional community. Community doesn't happen by itself. You know, we've got people from countries that don't necessarily get along with each other living in community in one building. And so it takes a really big effort and creativity and, um, dare I use the buzzword, innovation to um, bring those groups together. Um, and, and there's a place for all of us in, in that community um, to love our neighbors. Well, you know, it's so amazing. What you've just described is a microcosm of really what Canada is. Okay. It's a bunch of different people coming together. And what we know to be true is that even if you look at, um, I just was listening to a podcast yesterday or the day before and listening to some statistics about diversity and the importance of diversity and inclusiveness in our cultures, because Christianity thrives where there is inclusion of other religions mm. and, and when everybody is is valued and everyone has a place at the table and no one is discriminated against christianity thrives mm. it's a kind of an amazing thing to think about but that's what the stats tell us and what you're describing is that microcosm of what canada is mm -hmm. but it's also a microcosm of what the christian life is mm -hmm. It's pulling up a chair at the table at your local church in the place where you serve at the community function where you volunteer your time and rolling up your sleeves and serving along people that maybe aren't like you, maybe mm -hmm. don't think like you, uh, maybe don't come from the same background as you or have the same value system as you. Mm -hmm. But as Christ followers, we're called to pull up a chair and then make room for somebody else that maybe isn't exactly like us. And I think that's what I hear you describing. And you and I, as we talk today, may never know the full repercussion and impact of even what's happening in those children's lives mm -hmm. that are running around yeah. and how it will impact how they show up in the world, even in 10 or 20 years. Uh, and that's really the beauty of what you're doing at New Hope. And I really hope that our fellowship family, as they're listening to this, will, will get a renewed glimpse and vision of why we engage in this kind of ministry, why it is so important 
for the church, that this is how we show up to help people. Read an interesting uh, devotional just yesterday about worship and how we go, oh, worship equals, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, mm. or whatever. I think I've just dated myself. <laughs> And probably you too, Anne. But, I'm not uh, answering that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but worship is actually about justice. Mm. Worship is how we show up and administer justice and mercy and grace. I, you know, I, I was reminded that Romans 12, where we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is our reasonable act of worship. And then the whole passage goes on to explain how we do it. And it is certainly, thank the good Lord, it's not just by singing a song, because I would be out of luck. <laughs> that was the deal. But I just think it's so important for our listeners just to be reminded in this moment that this is what we do to show up and show Jesus in the world around us when we can celebrate that diversity around the table and include people even when they don't share our faith. Uh, that is incredible. So next, I got, I got another question. Okay. What do you think is the greatest need that uh, for immigrant families in this coming year as we kind of come out of the fog of pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, certainly from a refugee perspective, I think, um, you know, across the, the sector, we are expecting an influx. Um, we know that at the time, um, the borders were closed in March of last year. There were about 10,000 refugee families that had had their travel approved and put on ice because of the um, border closure. So they've been living in a very precarious um, place for 15 months now, you know, whether they're in Turkey or Jordan or Lebanon or wherever they are. Um, and so between that, plus we have what we call refugee claimants, which are people who arrive at the border and make a claim. Um, we are expecting a significant increase over the next number of months as things start to open up, which I think puts pressure on the entire system. Um, there's only, you know, one, one of the blessings of COVID has meant that the rental market has been a lot quieter. So as our families have graduated from New Hope, there's been a good stock of rent, rental properties available for them to move to a new apartment. Um, as we start getting more people coming back and traveling, international students coming, that rental market shrinks considerably and the price goes up. Um, and so affordability is a big issue. Um, so influx of families coming, tightened uh, rental housing market, um, and, um, and, and the affordability piece. Uh, is is really significant. I think those are the three biggies that we're going to be looking at in the next 18 to 24 months are going to put pressure on the system. What we don't want to do, well, I shouldn't put it this way. The shelter system does a phenomenal job um, and there there is a place for shelter, but it it it's not set up as much for family. The, the family shelters in, in our system are much smaller. There's fewer of them. And so to have refugee families coming, particularly claimants and ending up in the shelter system is what we'd really like to avoid if we can possibly help it. Um, so, so I think there's gonna be this need and growing need for more, more housing in particular 
for our refugee families. Some of the additional financial benefits uh, that kicked in through COVID, federal um, and provincial benefits will decline. Um, so we're seeing a, a gradual stepping down of some of those additional benefits, which, you know, when you receive social assistance and it's very low to begin with, cutting that is problematic. And I have my own set of opinions on that. Um, but our families are going to be in, in a tighter financial economic situation as well. So I, I think those are some of the the big things that I see happening. Well, that's really great for our fellowship family to know because that really leads me to asking you, what are some tangible ways that we can help you? We know we need to pray. We know we Definitely. need to hope in, in our prayers. Beyond our prayers, how do we bring action to that part of our worship? Yeah, great. Because I mean, even as we look at ramping up, certainly a lot of our in-person volunteer activities over the past year have not been able to happen. Um, it's just been, our space is too tiny and small to have people safely on site. Um, and so, you know, I would say if, if people are interested in volunteering their time to um, you know, sit with a woman and do some conversational English to supplement the formal English training or, or a fellow who is trying to get a job at his English needs some um, improvement, you know, just being a friend um, and connecting with our families, we'd be happy to do that. Um, for, uh, there are other bigger volunteer opportunities. If, if small groups are interested in providing meals, um, you know, when we go back to in-person Meals, we'll do those twice a month. Once a month, we do a pizza party. Um, and we have a number of small groups who donate the funds so that we can buy pizza for every apartment. And uh, they join us on our Zoom call as well. And they get to see our families. I think this week, um, we have a, a church in Langley supporting us. And we're doing a Lego building contest. So we'll go around and deliver buckets of Lego to every apartment. And the kids are, are going to um, go on and my husband's a big Lego fan, so he's got his Lego ready to go for Thursday, and we're going to do a Lego building contest. Um, so there's, you know, fun stuff that we do. Um, I would say you can give financially as well if you're able. Um, you can go onto our website, uh, newhopecs.org, and click the Donate Now button, and you can make a donation. We also are looking down the road, right? Like, we know that our 13 units are important but we need more units. And so as we look to the future, um, we're embarking on some fundraising to try and raise about $4 million so that we can either purchase an existing building or begin the process of developing um, another building as well. Um, and that's our contribution to this influx that we see. I mean, we rarely have difficulty keeping our building full. And so we know the need is out there. And, uh, and there's a place for new hope in that as well. And so that's another way I'd be thrilled to have a conversation with anyone um, around how, how we do that and what we're looking at accomplishing with that. That's great. That's really good for us to know because uh, we, we need to step up and be of help. I love that idea of even coming in and being able to sit and just have conversational English over a cup of tea. And as, really? and as, and as the restrictions lift, that will be again, a very, very important part of how we can actually connect. Mm -hmm. The parties are great. Lego. I love this. I love a Lego contest. You know, I have someone in my house that had to get 
you know, talked off the ledge of wanting to spend every single birthday dollar he ever got on Lego. <laughs> no, there are other things in life besides Lego. He did not believe me. <laughs> I don't know if he even still believes me on that one. So we know about Lego around here too. Well, we have a really creative staff. I mean, you know, even through the pandemic, just watching how they've adapted and figured all of this out is they're an am amaze me. They just amaze me. So. Uh, that's phenomenal. So in the daily activity of providing safe and affordable housing, Anne, what are the life lessons that you keep learning and relearning as you interact with these incredibly resilient people? You know, I, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, one of our families who graduated, they're no longer with us. She said to me, COVID, meh. I have been through worse. And I'm like, yeah, that kind of puts it into perspective, right? Um, and so I think there's a couple of lessons that I keep learning. And in, based on that conversation, it's, you know what? Um, there's always hope. Um, there is always hope. And um, we are here for a purpose and um, we serve to that purpose. And, uh, you know, so we often hear that phrase, oh, it's a first world problem. And we get ourselves tied up in a knot over some things, which in the grand scheme of things, you know, really don't matter. Uh, and so I hear Reham's voice often in my head saying that. I think the other thing is uh, God is our provider. And I, I remember um, as we started the pandemic, just this, this ball in my heart and my stomach was, oh my goodness, how are we ever going to make ends meet? And if, if I can't make this work, I, and it wasn't, it's an, I made it about me. If I can't get this done, what's going to happen to our families? And so I'm an insomniac at the best of times, but the beginning of the pandemic was really hard for me. But what, what God has always done and what he continued to do last year was he provided for us right the way through. And, you know, I think when we start putting our own perspective on things and we start making it about ourselves, um, it's no, no, no. And, and God always shows up in ways where it could only have been him that could have accomplished that. And we see that every day at New Hope. And so I have to keep relearning that. Um, that it doesn't matter if I don't make that phone call, um, God's going to provide and still means we have to do our, our work and we have to, you know, do, do our jobs and all that sort of thing. But, um, but, but God's always there in the background and he always surprises us. Mm, that's powerful. I love that. Right. Yes. He will always provide, but it, you know, I don't think you're alone. And I think it's a lesson that all of us have to learn and relearn countless times because we go back to how can we do it in our own strength and God oftentimes works outside the paradigm of our strength just so we know for sure that he did it you got it and uh, that's wonderful okay are you ready for some rapid fire questions Is I think so yeah all right in one word if possible if possible how do you define social justice one word, Krista, like seriously. So I know. Justice. Okay. So, okay. Can't no, be I got it. I got it. My yeah. word is, my word is equity. Oh, that is so good. Do you want to expand on that? I do. Yeah. I don't know. Like there's this, 
this cartoon that's been round of equality versus equity. And everybody has the same box, sort of ball game. And there's a tall guy and a medium-sized guy and an and-sized person on these boxes and trying to look over the fence because everybody has the same. Whereas equity is, hey, the little and size short person actually needs three boxes to see over the fence, but the tall guy doesn't need a box at all. He can see over the fence. So equity is not about giving everyone the same thing, but it's around giving them what's appropriate. So, you know, we talk about this notion of distribu distributional equity, which is really to say that, you know, in some cases, People are doing really well and they don't need, you know, intervention or government supports or anything like that. Um, in other cases, people can't live or manage without those things. And so to me, that's what social justice is. It's around equity for all. Oh, I love that. And you know, it springs right out of the pages of Jesus' life here. And certainly does. Well, that beautiful story about paying the workers for the whole day and the ones that came at five o'clock got the same amount. Yeah. Doesn't it just blow your mind with the issues that we face in our culture today? We find answers. We find mirrors in the narrative of the scripture that help us understand human behavior, how it is that we are to show up and what Jesus really is all about. Um, beautiful. I love it. So, Anne, when did God light a fire in you to help people in need? Yeah, great question. And I would say that that probably goes, but now I'm going to date myself because I'm going to drop a, a year, probably goes back to around 1991. Um, and I served as a short-term missionary in Ecuador, South America. And it was during that time, uh, it was between high school and university. Um, and I had started university as an economics major and uh, discovered very quickly, I really did not care about shareholder value. Uh, and that really was um, as a result of that time I had spent serving in Ecuador. Oh, that's it's always neat to look back. I wanted to ask you that because A, I wanted to know because uh, I've watched your journey even before New Hope. You have been involved with caring for people who need help for as long as I've known you. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to hear you share that because I think it's powerful for even for our listeners to go, when did God light a fire in me for what he's called me to do? To go back to that point and to think about it and to look at your journey. It's such a powerful piece for all of us. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So what is the life lesson that I just keeps teaching you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, cause I'm not really smart. And so I need to keep getting taught the same lessons over and over again, cause I'm not so bright. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, was originally thinking it was that God always provides in whatever way, shape, or form. Um, but I think more than that, um, it's what I said earlier is, and it's not about you. Um, it's about me. And I think that there are things that happen in our work life, our career, um, that, you think you're doing pretty good sometimes. And, and God shows up and says, mm, I think you're a little too big for your britches, as my dad used to tell me. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I think there are those teaching moments that have to happen. And so I think that, you know, it's very easy to be in sort of this world of social justice and talk about the social justice a lot and not talk about the God thing a lot. And so I think that that's when we, when we take our eyes off God in the middle of all of this, we have the danger of becoming just another organization or just another per person helping when the real reason that we're doing this is because we love Jesus and we want to share the gospel uh, when we have the opportunity to do so. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, and it's not about you. It's about me. Oh, that's so good. Good reminder to me. Good reminder to all of us that keeping the main thing, the main thing. That's it. Making sure we know what the main thing is in yeah. the first place. Okay. On a lighter, more fun note, if we were going to go out for dinner tomorrow night, what would be your favorite meal that you would order off a menu? So hard. It depends on where we're going, Krista. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, a treat for me would be, um, so my husband, Stephen, and I have been involved for many years in ministry in Cuba. And so for me, uh, I would say one of my favorite meals is ropa vieja with congaree, which is, so ropa vieja in Spanish translates to old clothes, which doesn't sound all that appetizing, but it's sort of this beef, uh, tomato, olive, pepper thing. And congaree would be rice with black beans. And for me, that's special because I'm usually sitting down with Cuban friends to enjoy that meal. Um, so that's what I would say. Well, that sounds very good. It sounds actually amazing. And uh, it sounds like something I'd like to try. And that leads me to my last question, which I kind of think you might have already answered, but we're not sure. And I, I know you well enough that I think maybe I know the answer, but I'll let you tell our audience. <laughs> when you can travel, where are you going? I'm going home. Mm. I don't know. Is that the answer you thought I was going to say? No, it was oh. <laughs> a good thing I didn't leave that. I actually, what I want our audience to know is a little bit, just expanding a little bit on what Anne answered when she talked about her favorite meal is that Cuba holds a very special place in her yeah. heart that she and Stephen have done ministry there, that it is a place that when they could travel, they traveled there consistently and it was a vacation with a purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I remember you sharing with me about the people that you know there and you just would light up as you talked about them. But I also know that you have parents that you love dearly, that you want to be with. So home, our audience. Home. Know. In Cambridge, Ontario, I should say. That's there where you we go. Be. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And it's going to be a good day when we can hop on a plane and just go where we need to go, hug the people that we need to hug, and that connection, uh, which is so important for all of us, gets yeah. reignited uh, around the globe. So Anne, I wanna thank you for sharing your heart with us today. I want our audience to know that they need to be putting New Hope Community Services on their prayer list. They need to be asking God, how can we help this incredible ministry as it faces probably a very daunting year as those 10,000 immigrants that are ready, to you know, refugees who are ready to travel, uh, 
get things in order and land plus everybody else that's been waiting in the queue mm -hmm. uh, we have our work cut out for us as we share the love of jesus through how we care for people so thank you for being with us here today thank you it's been great Thanks for listening to today's episode. Anne and the team at New Hope are doing such incredible work, and it is such a privilege to have them as one of our partnering ministries in Fellowship Pacific. In our show notes, you can find a prayer guide from New Hope that they created for World Refugee Day, which is on Sunday, June 20th this year. And I encourage you to take a look at that and commit to praying for New Hope, the families they serve, and refugees all over the world. You'll also find some other ways that you can get involved, and we encourage you to check that out as well. And as always, I will remind you that our team here at Fellowship Pacific is here to serve you. For a list of all the resources we have available and to get in contact with any of us, please visit our website at www.febpacific.ca.